This is Nomina's Mental Health Mavens, where each week we bring you guests from the mental health, addictions, and holistic care community to talk about different issues and treatment modalities. Now, guest opinions are their own, and some content may be triggering. With that, today's guest is Dan Calco, who is here to talk with us about running addiction. So let's welcome Dan. Welcome back, Dan. Um, so when my son was born 22 years ago, I uh, stepped on the scale after giving birth, saw 200 and started running the very next day. And then BB me went from zero to like marathon yeah. <laughs> immediately. Is that a running addiction? It depends. It's, it's hard to describe that based off of the way we understand addiction. And so from what I hear, you saw something that you didn't like and you put a whole bunch of resources towards it to try to fix it or change it into something that you did like. Um, if I was seeing you as a client, I'd probably start asking things like, what happens if you don't run every day? How do you feel if you get sick or injured? Do you run through injury? Uh, I'd start asking a little bit more um, surrounding questions about your running behaviors to see if we could call it a running addiction. And that's the main difference when we look at people who are just really enthused or really motivated uh, to run uh, or exercise in general. It doesn't just have to be running, but some people love it. I also, I go to the gym, I run, I play hockey, I play badminton, I box. I, I, I have that as part of my daily routine. And it's very important for me for consistency. And it's very important for me for my own mental health to have uh, 45 minutes to an hour of decompression time in a physical way but if I don't get it that one day because I have a meeting or because I have the sniffles or because something happened I have a sick kid at home it doesn't destabilize my entire day and when we think about addiction we it's very easy for us to see the alcoholic missing that drink or missing that day that that alcohol that one day or that heroin or cocaine addict that misses their dose or their their daily intake, they they change completely. And we can see this in people who are addicted to exercise and people who are addicted to running where they will run through injury. They will run despite the weather. It could be a blizzard. They'll still go running because if they don't, they will feel bad. If they don't, there will be very negative effects on their lives. Their neurochemicals will be out of balance. They'll feel like crap uh, and they will need it. They will crave it. Um, and if they don't get it, they'll just be miserable. So exercise activates the whole body and it activates the brain in the same way. And there's a bunch of neurochemicals that activate during um, during exercise and during running. Um, and there's a bunch of other hormones that activate as well. And we're not going to go into too many of them just because there's probably dozens of them. And I'm not a doctor and I don't know that. But I do know that there are a few that we work with regularly. Um, and one of the ones that gets activated during running or exercise is serotonin. Right. And serotonin is like a mood boosting kind of mood stabilizing hormone. Um, and anybody who's on an antidepressant or anti-anxiety med knows that uh, SSRI, the, one of the S stands for serotonin. Uh, and that's because scientists have found that if we stabilize the level of serotonin in the brain, we can stabilize mood in the brain. If we can boost it, if we can stop it from being absorbed as quickly, perhaps we can have much more stable moods throughout the day, the week and the month. Well, exercise boosts them. So if they're low, exercise will boost your serotonin level several hours afterwards. And that's why most people feel better after they go for a run. Um, and that's in part due to the serotonin that gets built up in their brain. 
We also have norepinephrine, which is um, it's a fight or flight hormone. Uh, it's one of the things that increases heart rate, increases breathing rate, increases blood pressure, which is important when you're running, right? You don't want to pass out because all the blood is going to your muscles and none is going to your brain. So this gets activated in your body as well. And what they found is that at healthy levels, slightly elevated healthy levels, you can actually increase your focus, you can increase your energy, um, and you can get a lot more done. So people are much more um, efficient with their brain power when there's a slight boost to their norepinephrine. And that can last anywhere between two and six hours after a good run. So it's one of those things that we, again, it helps us feel good about running, but it also helps our brain function better after we run. There's one that's called uh, it's BDNF. It's a, it's a great one. It's a brain derived neurotropic factor. So BDNF. And it's a really interesting hormone that actually helps create connections with between neurons. Um, and one of the ways that you can stimulate this, this hormone is through exercise. Uh, and I don't know like what your experience is, but when I run, I find my thinking seems to be that much more clear, right? If I, if I don't have the music blaring at volume 10, if I run and I'm thinking and I'm from my, in my own head, I will problem solve. I will think through problems and issues that I'm dealing with while I am running. And it's one of those great things that we're actually making neural connections in our brain that actually help make it function more efficiently, quickly, um, and better overall, which is awesome, I think, because you can actually stimulate that. There's other ways you can stimulate it, uh, like omega-3s help stimulate it, and there's other, other aspects that can, can do that for you. But running is one of the ones that's listed as usually number one in terms of how to increase BDNF in your brain. Two more that I was going to talk about. So dopamine. Dopamine is one of the ones that we all heard about, right? Everybody knows about dopamine. It's the reward chemical. So when you uh, eat chocolate, you get a nice shot of dopamine. Your brain rewards you for doing something good, right? From that evolutionary perspective, nice big chunk of sugar. It's hard to find in uh, in in uh, cold, or sorry, um, Stone Age times. So uh, it gives you a little boost. It says eat more of that because it's hard to find. Or when you eat something really fatty or really high in protein, or you do something good, it gets released during sex, right? The things that our brain wants to reinforce, those behaviors our brain wants to reinforce, that's dopamine giving us that pleasure, that pleasure feeling. And that, that gets activated uh, as well during we run. That's part of what we call a runner's high. Um, and it works very closely in concert with endorphins. So again, everyone knows endorphins. Endorphins are our natural pain-killing ability. So when we get injured, endorphins get released, so we don't feel the pain as high as we might. Uh, they get released when we're stressed, they calm us down. They also activate dopamine. So they not all they don't always activate dopamine, but they can. And that's where our runner's high comes from, is when you run and you run and you run and you start to get tired and, and you're in mile 20 of a 21-mile race and your body feels like it's gonna quit, well, Endorphins are the thing that give you that boost and make you feel really good so that you can keep going. Um, and they do that by also activating dopamine. So there's a lot going on in the brain, but all of that results in you feeling better. Okay, so that was going to be my question is, from the sounds of it, running's great. Go ahead, get a running addiction. But what are the negative consequences of it? For sure. Um, and running is great. Uh, but the issue becomes when it be when it starts to be detrimental in other parts of your life. You forget your kids at school because you're running. You don't do your taxes because you're too busy running or recovering from a run. Or you ran too hard and you got to pass out. You're missing work, right? It starts to be the thing that you only focus on. It's it's just you're you're focused. 
unilaterally on running and everything to do with running and same with any kind of uh, substance addiction. The brain devotes all of its time to figuring out how it's going to get this next fix. And that fix is most likely covering up some other thing that's going on in our brain, right? All of those feel-good chemicals, if we need them all the time, that tells us that maybe there's something underneath that doesn't feel so good. And if that thing that doesn't feel so good is is significant enough, we will always want to do the thing that covers up the thing that doesn't feel good. In the same way that we'll see someone who uses cannabis to cover uh, trauma or somebody who uses cocaine or alcohol to, to escape from those painful things that have been happening in their lives, we can do that in a process addiction like running addiction or exercise addiction. And so those become negative and they become detrimental to people's lives, to their own physical health, to their families, to their relationships. Um, and also it becomes one of those things where those neurochemicals get get depleted at times. And that's where if anybody, if you've ever run, there's a taper phase. People usually get grumpy and grouchy in the taper phase before a race, right? So you, you run less the week before or two weeks before a run, depending on what you're doing, just so that you can kind of build up a little bit, repair a little bit and get ready to go into that race. Well, most people, most runners, most professional runners are absolute nightmare during that week because they're no longer getting those chemicals. So they're grumpy, they're grouchy, they're complaining, they're, everything is horrible, right? Oftentimes they get sick during taper week. Uh, and so it can have a detrimental effect on your body, can have detrimental effect on your relationships and your finances too. Mm -hmm. This is making so much sense because I've met, uh, I met a few ladies in the gym where I'm just shocked at how, because I've seen, I've seen what the addiction can do and, and what it does to them. And the fact that, yeah, I mean, I'm a sober woman and I know that I used drugs and alcohol to cover up how I was feeling. And I didn't ever think of that in terms of a running addiction. It's often not looked at as a negative. We see the the skinny Instagram models uh, on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, and they're they're elevated. We look at them, we go, wow, this is the picture of fitness and the, this is how we idealize beauty. But we don't know what's going on underneath all of those exercised, all the time that they spend exercising. It can be, they can be very tortured individuals that are just trying to escape something that happened to them that they're having trouble dealing with. And they do it in a way that gets reinforced by society Society says, good job. So their brain says, I'm going to do more of this because I avoid the thing that I'm trying to avoid very successfully because I'm always in the gym. And now I'm getting positive reinforcement for it. So it's like this perfect storm where it's encouraged. Whereas drinking and, and other um, substance abuse issues or, uh, or substances have a negative output, right? You see the person who drinks too much, they don't look great generally or the person who uses too much heroin doesn't look great so those are shunned by society so they go you shouldn't be doing that but rarely do people say you shouldn't be fit you shouldn't have a gigantic booty because that's the thing that everybody wants right now so it doesn't it doesn't happen in the same way it's not it's not discouraged in the same way so if somebody recognizes that perhaps they have a problem or a family member recognizes it in a loved one what would treatment look like for this then so again, in, it would be the same as any any substance abuse treatment that we would look at. We go, what is the thing that's triggering this behavior? And it doesn't matter if it's picking up a bottle of our of alcohol or liquor, or if it's going to the gym for eight hours a day. We would be trying to figure out what is generating that desire to escape. And I often use this with my running clients. What are you running from? Right? You can be running to something like you were. 
a healthier body, a fitter mindset, that kind of recovery piece, you're running towards that. But what are you running away from when there is no goal, right? When that race, that next marathon you did isn't enough. You got to do another marathon or a double marathon or an ultra, right? Those 50, 100 kilometer or mile races, right? It's great if that's your goal and you want to say, I want to complete an ultra in my life. Amazing. You're running towards that goal. But if you're running away from something all the time, that's when we start to say, what are you running from? And that's where the therapy would come in and look at where's, is there anxiety present? Is that because oftentimes anxiety will be alleviated by, by exercise. And so we go, is the, is the exercise being triggered by anxiety? And then what is the anxiety being triggered by? Is it a traumatic event that somebody had driving or a wartime trauma or a, or a attachment trauma or something that happened uh, in childhood or in school? Or there's many things that can trigger those kind of things. But the first step would be trying to figure out what's going on underneath. And is it possible to continue to run after you've recognized it? Is there a way to balance it and, and be able to run in a healthy way? For sure. And that's one of the things that's different about substance abuse and certain behavioral addictions like sex addiction, where you go, we were designed to exercise and we were designed to have sex. So it's hard to take this, the, the completely sober approach to these things. It might be important as part of the treatment to say, we're going to stop and we're going to reset and we're going to figure out what's going on underneath. But we always want to go back to healthy balance of those things, right? Shopping is important. We got to buy groceries, we got to buy clothes. Again, a behavioral addiction that can get out of hand. If we can treat the underlying conditions, then we can go back to moderated, healthy levels of exercise in order to keep ourselves healthy. Because we know that it does, right? The benefits, you can search up anything in Google Scholar about exercise and health, and you'll get probably millions of hits on studies that have been done about how exercise is beneficial for your brain and your heart and your lungs and your kid. I'm sure you could pick any body part and you'll find an article that says it's improved by exercise. So, but it's all with moderation, right? You can do any good thing too much. You can drink too much water and, and that'll be bad. You'll get into a horrible condition where you lose a lot of body salt and your muscles start cramping up. Water is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing if it's overdone. This has been very fascinating. Is, is there anything that I missed? Anything you wanted to say in closing? I think we just have to be careful in terms of what is our motivation. And I, we've talked about this already, but um, there is a place where body dysmorphia can come in, right? And so people can look at themselves and not be happy with themselves and want to exercise more, to become thinner, to become more muscular. We have quite skewed uh, definitions of beauty in our society right now in terms of how a healthy person looks and what a healthy person looks like on the cover of Cosmo or Men's Health is not really healthy in terms of what they do to get there and you can look at um, different articles on how mo fitness models prepare for their photo shoots is absolutely not good for their bodies we want to keep that in mind and say, this is like an idealistic standard that is almost impossible to attain. And then we want to be healthy. We want to be fit. We want to be, we want to have a good cardiovascular health. We want to be able to breathe well, and we want to be able to perform day-to-day -day tasks in a way that doesn't cause us injury because exercise helps us stay uh, healthy and it protects us from injury, both mental and physical. So we want to be able to do both. Um, and we just want to make sure that we're realistic about our goals. Great advice. 
I know my doctor actually said to me that you got to start lifting some weights with your running too. Now that I'm an, I'm an older lady. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and weight training can be a great adjunct to running um, because it will increase bone density and it will increase that um, pro the muscle development around joints and ligaments, helping maintain their health, which will actually likely improve your running down the line because you will have stronger uh, joints uh, that will be able to withstand the constant impact of running. Um, and it'll change the way that you exercise and it'll probably improve your heart health as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan. No problem. <laughs>